Welcome to the Boardrooms Best, the podcast for CEOs, board directors, investors, leaders, and those who want to rise and serve in the boardrooms of public, private, family-owned, charitable foundations, and exciting, high-flying entrepreneurial companies. I'm Nancy May, the CEO of the BoardBench Companies, and I'm your host here today at the Boardrooms Best. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The Boardroom's Best. This is your host, Nancy May, and I have the privilege of being here with my friend, Martha Rogers. Actually, it's Dr. Martha Rogers. Excuse me, Martha. I didn't mean to do that. We work hard for our distinctions, and I do not want to deny you that one by any means whatsoever. Martha, for those of you who are listening, is really a world expert on the whole issue of customer engagement, customer satisfaction, the relationships that corporations have with their customers, whether they be B2B or B2C, and the issue of trust, which is what we're going to talk about today, which is so important in the world, especially what's going on with the likes of CEOs being asked to step down because of financial issues and a myriad of other things. But thankfully, we do have CEOs and board members that we can trust as well. Without that, we'd really all be in a pickle to be polite about it. So, Martha, as we think about what's happening in the boardroom today, especially in looking at certain industries, the issue of trust is so important, both from a consumer perspective, an employee perspective, an investor perspective. Right. What are some of the the top things that are going on that you see as Achilles heels really for corporations in this area of trust? Thank you, Nancy, for having me on. I'm, I'm delighted and, and honored to be here and happy to talk about my favorite subject. You're welcome. That's a really important question. When we think about the Achilles heel, it's um, it's lots of technologies, but the primary one is really transparency because the idea that you can hide something the way we used to is just, just false. You can't you can't really keep much of anything secret. It's even hard to keep the the, the recipe for secret sauce secret. Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> right. But the but to keep any other number of secrets, I mean, they're they're now uh, companies that are thinking of publishing everybody's uh, salaries because that way there'll be less likelihood of being accused of having the women make less than the men and that sort of thing. So so let's just publish it all. We're we're really entering a time in which. Uh, you're either forced to or you volunteer to expose just about everything. Now, in that world, what happens? And we can look at some of the political issues, and no matter what side you fall onto, you can see that there are uh, people who thought that things would stay secret that didn't. So transparency is, is an interesting subject because in the boardroom, transparency may be happening, obviously, in conversation, or hopefully, obviously, in conversations between CEOs right. and the top senior management and boards. But the boards themselves have to be careful about what they disclose publicly. That's right. So there's there's a balance on what transparency really transpires. What what that means, though, is that there are now sunshine laws in all but a couple of states where you can get any records from the state. There are now the possibility of opening things up. There's a, another friend of mine. She actually does uh, a lot of research on CEO candor. Mm. And the more candid a CEO is, the more likely he or she is working with a company where we don't have anything ugly to hide. We have secrets. I'm not talking about exposing trade secrets. I'm talking about just trying to keep things under wraps that if it were exposed, 
the company would be thought less of and would therefore detrimental be detrimental to the corporations. Yes, it would be less valuable. So that's really the Achilles heel. As people in general, even coming up the corporate ladder, our lives have been so private over yeah. the <laughs> course of, of right. It, well, it's something that we hold dear to us. Uh, maybe not necessarily from an, right. a current generation, but as we've grown up ourselves, the privacy has, has been very important. But you know, the truth is, is that we are private. Now we're public figures as CEOs and board members. Yes. Our privacy, though, in the era in which we grew up, because we were born, I think this is fair to say, in way back in the 1900s. And it was a respect for privacy back then. That's right. But I mean, self. way back in the 1900s, the entire uh, 1900s, uh, the 20th century, was an era in which privacy was possible and therefore became prized. But the truth is that before that, certainly in the 17th century and way back before that, there was no privacy. But if, if somebody had a, a way of getting information, they would they would get it. There were peeping toms and there were, listen, in small towns now, everybody know whose car is parked overnight at the uh, Majestic Motel. <laughs> we're not really... We are children of a, a brief era of privacy in the great history of humankind. And so, so it's a fallacy of privacy. So we're really moving back to a technologically driven uh, way of knowing each other that was true before the 20th century. And now it's just a different kind of... So we're going back to a kind of old-fashioned thing except driven by new tools. Because the, the truth is now, you can't un-Google yourself. No, and actually, maybe there's there's some element of additional value to this because the information that's out there is real as opposed to what somebody else may have made up. Although we have both elements now, too. You're right. I mean, we still have we still have public gossip, and, and the CEOs know that. There, there are some companies that have paid a price for a big furor over something that was not even true. And so the fact that it's now exposed only means that we have a chance to know about it ourselves. And uh, so if somebody says something about me, that's transparent to me, just as much as what I do might end up being transparent to somebody else. So how do we bring this back into the boardroom? You know, the board members are hopefully trusted individuals been brought in and, and pre-vetted. That doesn't always happen. You know, we make mistakes as I've sure. seen it time and time again. Sure. But now the board members and the CEO have to understand creating that element of trust with a customer. Now, if we're starting from a business-to-consumer perspective, so B2C environment, you know, the old story of, of Tylenol brought the level and impression of that CEO and the company up. Right, because, because they behaved in a completely trustable way. They had several choices, and they made the right choice in a few hours. Even though they were not necessarily the ones that caused we the deed to positive happen. that. And, and just so anybody out there who might be under, you know, whatever age we are, we can tell that the, the Tylenol story was the one where uh, some people bought Tylenol in a drugstore, right. took it home and died because they had been tampered, uh, the, the product had been tampered with and they were poisoned. And what Tylenol decided to do was very costly to them, but highly trustable, which was yank them all off the shelves. And everybody was shocked that they actually did that. And I think their uh, stock actually went down that day. And I used to know these facts in detail, but, uh, but you can look it up. And they, right. the stock went down that day when that happened, even though it was not their fault. You know, you can't sell stuff if you're not on the shelves. No. And, um, and there was a concern that nobody would ever buy it again. And it took about a year for their stock to come back to be what it was before. And then it went up from there. So they more than made up for it within 18 months. But what an incredible decision for people to make. Uh, and in fact, don't we just love them for having done it? And then you have other companies who go through clinical trials 
And I have personally heard of stories that right. not everything that happened in the clinical trials is totally reported to the consumer. Right. You know, hence you have these ads saying, you know, creates That's right. know, all sorts of other right. side effects. And, and, oh, and by the way, you're supposed to take this to survive and you could die. <laughs> right. So. That's that's a different level. You hope you're going to trust the company that's doing this, <laughs> right? but it's so important. Well, I will tell you that in over 25 years of working as, just briefly, uh, my co-author Don Peppers and I founded Peppers and Rogers Group back in 1993, and uh, we've written nine books together, several of them. I think bought the first copy of the book in the old Westport bookstore back in Klein's back then. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's very, very nice. But the, the, I think that what... Um, what we have discovered, because we, we never imagined at the time that we were going to write more than one book or that this would be such a, a huge thing that we'd start Peppers and Rogers Group and it would be an international company. But, but what we did discover was that there's just more to learn about this, how technology dramatically changes the relationship of businesses and companies right. and, and their customers and then also their employees and also their partners and also, of course, their board members and shareholders. And, um, and so what we discovered was that as we kept pulling it back and looking at how to value customers and how to create value for the company from customers, which is after all the only source of revenue that we have, and how to measure that and, and do it, manage it properly. And I mean, just the layers kept coming up and we ended up, or we've currently, I should say, we have written the book on trust right. because we realized that you can't build true customer experience. You can't increase customer value. You can't build the value of your company by increasing the value of your customer base, unless customers trust you. And therefore, trust is not just a nice idea or something we learned from our grandmothers or in Sunday school. It's a survival mechanism. It is a survival mechanism. It is something that the, the CFO is going to love as much as your grandmother will. And, uh, and so asking companies to do things the way you know, you'd do it for your mother or your own kids or right. whatever is, is an important part of it because it turns out that people will pay more. They will pay significantly more to do business with a company that they trust. They're just not that many of them that they're really sure that they can trust. So in this whole consulting business, we've done work with several of those big pharmaceutical companies. And I will say that they're quite different from each other. I'm not going to name any names here. No, no, no. I'm not asking. But at the same right. time, I would say that there's one that I trust completely. And I feel much better about having worked with them and the kinds of things that they put out and the kinds of things they spend money on that only a few people are going to, to benefit from. Oh, look and at the whole Theranos story, right? Right. Not exactly. too long ago. Right. That's right. That's right. And then other ones are there only for the money and only for the shareholders. And it's, it's very disheartening because, and of course, it's very disheartening in America because we end up having to pay for the good deals that the state-run insurance companies, you know, one-payer uh, sure. systems actually uh, work out with these same companies. So it's a matter of making sure that they, you know, and of course they make it up on the United States markets. So eventually all this will change. But I just wanted to say a, a kind word that they are not universally bad. No, plans. and I, was, I wasn't saying that. I right. know you're not. I'm just, I'm just saying that for, as is the case with every industry that we have found, there are good players and not so good players. Well, just as society, there are good people and there That's are not correct. so good people, right? That's correct. So when a board is 
being so and a CEO and a CFO, as right. you mentioned, right. is being so hardly hammered and pressured by the investor market right. and the activists out there to say, you know, show me the money. You know, it's the old Jerry Maguire. <laughs> right. Where are the exchange? You know, where's the, where's the return? What's going in my pocket? Right. How much more can I get out of this? And it may take more time to build that trust in the relationship with the customer. That's sort of a a push me pull you. Uh, there's a real tension that's going on. There, there. is, and the tension is between short term and long term. So uh, I think that investors have driven us to short-term measures. The irony is that a lot of the short-term measures that we near, dearly love and that will drive our measures of success for a long time, the key performance indicators to end them all, Correct. are really about this quarter's, name it, earnings, profits, all those things that we studied in a business school and that were established in the early 20th century. And you can't turn around a business overnight. No, but the point is, is that, that we're sort of measuring the wrong thing. If what we're trying to do is drive this quarter's numbers, then we will make decisions that are only good for this quarter. Right. And the, the problem is, is that that automatically means that we might be compromising next quarter and two years from now and five years from now. So you've got your eye on the wrong ball. You've got your eye on the wrong ball. That's right. So what we, when we start talking about how to measure customer value and to look at a customer dashboard and think in terms not just of customer satisfaction, which is a difficult measure these days, but even things like um, uh, net promoter scores and let's get a little more sophisticated and uh, risk scores and where you, you might lose a customer and the customer lifetime value and whether or not that lifetime value is going up or down and at what rate that is the idea of return on customer. So whatever you're measuring, if you measure those, they have a balance of short-term and long-term in them. And that means that if you are a customer manager and you're responsible for these named individuals at a company and, and how much, say, the bank is going to make on them this quarter, then those, those managers are going to be rewarded this quarter for how much the bank made profit on their group of customers this quarter, but also what the projected value of those customers is for three years from mm-hmm. now. That means you're not, there's no advantage to you to do things that are only going to make money today. So we expect you to make money this quarter, but we don't always expect you to make the highest possible amount you can this quarter and sacrifice everything in the future. We have to balance the two. And not every customer is created equal, as you're saying. That's correct. However, so my question to you thinking from that perspective is if not every customer is created equally... And the ones that may be dragging you down a little bit are the ones you want to remove. What happens when that portion of that customer segment becomes the the squeaky part in the wheel that actually starts complaining? Yeah, thank you. Um, but they and then yeah, and then the, distracting everybody know, else who is then, the good then, customer, and then throwing everything right. off. And then to, and then they they become like uh, Russian hackers, and they just you know they just try to poison the Correct. well. But I would say. That part of what makes a customer valuable is not just his or her willingness to spend more money. It may be that they spend about the same as an average person or maybe even less, but that they're willing to say great things about us. Maybe that they, part of what makes them valuable is that when we make suggestions to them, they comply. That's the technical term, although it makes make customers sound like wimps and, and they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are more likely to do, take our suggestions. If they trust us, they, that will happen. Right. If, they, if they trust us, they're less likely to look elsewhere. If they trust us, then they're willing to pay a little more to do business with us. So if we know those kinds of things, then it makes a huge difference when we start looking at how much it's worth to be more trustable. I'll give you a really dramatic example. So we did some work for the mobile phone companies, and one of them wanted us to do this customer valuation process. And we ended up 
trying to uh, having to teach customers what a trustable mobile operator would look like because customers don't always know how to even think that way. What it would look like is the optimal conversation, <laughs> right? As opposed to assuming that they're all trusted right, so, right now. So I met, well, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, so no, I'm not, not, they could be because here's the thing. What if you could do business with a, an, a mobile operator that would always make it up to you if they dropped a call. If a call got dropped and they- I'd be there in a heartbeat. Right, of course. And now that there's unlimited, then that's not as relevant as it was when there wasn't. But, but what if they made it really loud and clear to you that you were in a roaming area now instead of that little tiny triangle and you later get a big, ugly surprise? I've missed my phone. I'm, I'm getting booted off the conference call as I'm driving through right, the dead right, zone. Right. Any, I mean, there are just so many things that they could do. They could put you on the best plan that they offer that's that works with your users. And tell user me, re- call me and, and te- say, my, my plan or, is different. Or just text and, it, you know, yeah. and, the, and let you know that it's, that you're, and, and so all of a sudden they're looking out for you. Now, how much more would people be willing to pay for that? In the United States, uh, our survey of 2,700 customers made it clear to us that, and these are from people from all walks of life and socioeconomic levels and everything else, 2,700 customers told us that on average, they'd be willing to pay $11 more per month to do business with oh my a goodness. company like that. Over the life of the right. customer. Wait, wait, $11 a month times 12 months a year times the life of the customer. Oh, by the way, huge. times 70 million customers, which is what each of the big three has at any given moment. How many billions of dollars oh, is that? that? That's so much money that you could do everything we've talked about, spend about a third of it and drop the rest in your shareholder's lap. And yet all they can see is how much would it cost to do it at first? So when we look at how much, that's why I say the CFO has got to get involved in this, because when we do the right thing for customers, they come back and do the right thing. For so us. this should be a conversation that goes on in the audit committee. Oh, please. <laughs> I, I, I'll be there. Is it happening? I know. Are you hearing this? this right. See this little yeah. forefinger? This, see this little forefinger that yeah. I'm exercising right here? I, I can wag it at just about anybody who needs it, because um, I like to keep it in good, in good form. But the, the truth is that, yes, this is not something that just those people, those weirdos over in marketing that have, you know, bright colors around their desks should be doing. This is something that everybody has and to do. And the average life that, of a CMO, CF, uh, CMO is about three years, I think, now. That, yeah, it's up. It's up from about a year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, when we first, when especially in the chief communications offices, officers and the people who first got into this role once the technology started changing mm-hmm. and we were looking at things that, you know, advertising was no longer the primary way that people learned about our stuff. They learned about well, it from each other. It's interesting. So there's sort of a buzzword that's going on right now in the governance world or buzz term ESG, um, environmental, yeah. social, and governance. Yeah. When this is still such a critical underlying financial factor to the business, right, right. yet it's sort of made pretty is not the right word, but it's the only kind of word I can think of right now. It's nicely packaged in this environment. And nice to have is not what this is. This is critical to your survival of a company. And even more so, I'm thinking about some of the tech companies, right? When somebody else does it first, then where are you? When you're when you, where, what are you going to do? Is it better to be a fast own, follower or a leader? It's better to be a leader in this I think it's better to be a leader yeah. because once you're, uh, I, I think fast follower makes sense in a lot of areas, but I think when it comes to trustability, look, here's the thing that you, you want your customer base to be the people who most value what you do in the world. You have competitors who do the same thing, but whatever that is y'all do, mm-hmm. you want the customers that value that the most and that spend the most and talk about it the most and love you the most and those kinds of things. 
and the people who hate it the most, you actually asked this question a few minutes ago, the people who hate it and they're going to go off and say bad things. What you want to do is in the warmest, most loving way possible, help them into the arms of your competitors and let them complain about those guys. <laughs> and, and you can do it. And you can do it. You know what? We have, we have helped companies figure the out. sneaky method. No, it's not yeah. sneaky. It's just, it's the sweetest method. I mean, there are just ways that you can go to somebody and say, you know, uh, I don't think that we can meet your needs. Here's a brand new computer that I think you will like even better. Here's their 800 number that you can call from now on and, uh, and, and give them a computer because the cost to you of these real problem cases can be much greater than the cost of, of buying them a new product. So, actually, that actually worked. That, that almost exact story just happened yeah. with me this yeah. summer with yeah. my tech right. guy. And a computer that I had that is not quite a year old. Jeez. And it, it just missed its... Um, Deadline. That, thank that you. The, the, thank you. Right, the, my the, brain uh, cells warranty, are, yeah. are dying here. Warranty yeah. on it by like a week. And he said, look at this, Nancy. Right. It's not your fault. Right. And the company wow. is not honoring wow. it. But I am personally right. going to replace it. Right. So now... Yeah. This is a small vendor. Who I mean, I will be the. I've already been trusted this guy, and I'll be here with him for the till right. the day I die. So now, in the case of Tylenol or USAA or your my small vendor, vendor guy, guy, your small vendor guy, or any number of other people that do it right, what would it take for any competitor to come in and offer you a lower price? You throw those away. Yeah. You don't. You you figure it's a it's come some kind of a even if it's a friendly scam, it's still you know it's only going to be there for the first six months or something, and then they're going to raise your, the rates without telling you and. And so if it comes down to what's best for you, you want to do business with somebody you can trust. Absolutely. And and that will honor the spirit as well as the letter of your agreements and who will be looking out for you and who will have actual uh, goal for the company that is in line with what's good for the customer. The reason reason that poor old uh, Blockbuster died was not because they were all about videotapes and you don't find videotapes around anywhere anymore. It was because, and it wasn't about, it wasn't about the technology. It was about one thing that they did that their customers hated because their customers hated it, their employees hated it, and that was the late fees. We'd go into the stores, we'd rent the thing, we might even get a discount on it, we'd get get it back there to them an hour late, and by golly, they were so happy to charge it. And if they could just train the customers better to come on time, that's what this sort of theory. I mean, it wasn't their fault. It was your fault. All you had to do to not pay your late fee was bring it back on time. And then along comes Netflix. And they, even when there were, remember, DVDs, yep. and they mailed them out and all that stuff, they were building a customer base. They took 2 million of, uh, of Blockbusters, best customers, and they became Netflix customers. And they set up their queues, and they did the stuff. And, of course, there was no late fee. It was a completely different business model, different way to make money. And instead of being uh, something that either the customer gets it or the company gets it, it was something where everybody wins where I get better service, I get what I want. The company makes their money in a way that my better service makes them money. And, and, uh, and, and that's what it took. And after uh, Netflix had 2 million of Blockbuster's customers, Blockbuster said, oh, I guess we could do that now, but it was too late. I'm interested in, in your perspective as technology becomes the, the greater backbone in so many companies as we go forward. AI is the hotbed on every director's lips and what's going on with financial services, what's driving the whole new uh, environment, how disruption is happening at at the lightning speed. When the thing that's making that decision on what's the right thing to do for the company and for for the shareholder ultimately 
right. through the customer is a machine. How do we turn how do we turn the machine into an ethical environment when it's still those of us that are are, are I, I, I don't know, that right? Question. It's I a love tough that one. question because one of the things that we've been finding is that the machine learning and the AI that they're trained by humans and that the actual way that humans are biased are are coming out in the machine learning. So And it can be very subtle. It can be very subtle. And, and people who think that they're not biased, because I know I'm not, <laughs> I try to play really fair. And yet if I were um, I caught myself doing things. I yes, and not and I, and I feel guilty about I it. I know. And and so it will happen unless we're very careful to make sure that we have diversification in that entity that is training those artificial intelligence programs. So we have it. to teach the AI systems to be a diverse, a diversity no, we have sensitive. To have real diverse people programming the programming AI. them. So we have to have millennials as well as people with some experience. We have to have uh, people of all colors and say, sizes and from different nationalities. We and have we to- still have to understand that the AI, or the computer, ultimately the technology. The big brain over in IBM, or it, they don't that's a big brain is a Google yeah. and Watson <laughs> yeah, yeah, over yeah. at IBM, right? Are going to yeah, have yeah. embedded biases, and we hope that those biases are not going to be but detrimental to the customer. We have to, to make sure that they're not. So, we, and and remember that we're doing something that sounds antithetical. We are uh, at the same moment that we are saying that we are better off, and those customers are better off when we help some customers who are our least valuable customers out the door, mm-hmm. then, and, and let me justify that just for a second, because if the top 20% of our customers account for 80% of our profit and revenue and everything That's else. That's both B2C and B2B. Right. But the bottom 20% account for 80% of our losses and our hassle and the unhappiness of our employees and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it makes sense to find another mm-hmm. home for them. We do not treat them differently because of their gender preference or their color or their age. Or and they their, could be the best customer in another company. In another company. That's right. But we but we want to help them find that other company because mm-hmm. if they are costing us a lot of money, the people who are paying for them are our best customers, and that just doesn't make sense. It's not fair. That being the case, then if we're, if we're in the business of playing fair, then we have to help those customers out the door. Now, what were we talking about? Oh, the idea that, that we're going to be, if we're not going to be biased, what we're going to have to do is mirror our best customers in the programming of our AI that helps us to understand those customers and predict in a millisecond what they're going to see on their Google search or all the other places that are emerging every day that we're going to be speaking to them. I met this woman about a year ago, and she said, yes, yeah, she's in the business of within three-fifths of a second, she has to determine when you click on a website, what message to put you know, in the column mm-hmm. over to the Wow. Market who the sponsor is and how the, what the message is going to be from that sponsor and all that sort of stuff. Sure. My husband said to me, he doesn't fool with any of this stuff at all, doesn't care about it. But he, uh, he said to me lately that the New York Times has been advertising all this stuff. I said, no, because my New York Times website looks very different from yours. Absolutely. Honey. So you think about, I'm, I'm just going to take a, a quick step over to the world of Amazon. Mm-hmm. that everybody can't really live without. No, we can't live without. But unfortunately, Amazon has also built its trust and reputation on millions and millions of other small vendors. That's correct. Which they don't necessarily know. Right. And although we as consumers, whether it be B2B or B2C, are putting star ratings on there. There's some sock puppeting. It's not it's, always yeah. the best one. Yeah, there's something else that's happening in there that may not that's always right. get the best person or the best product to me. As I need it, whether again, like, you know, I, I was on Alibaba the other day looking at similar kinds of things. So how does, how does the aggregator 
make sure that their level of trust is so high from a consumer. Well, that's about four chapters okay. in our book, actually. That's, that's a very good question because there are things, I mean, how do we rate the rate or how do we, you know, Amazon actually sued some people who were sock puppeting and leaving fake ratings because that makes it a less valuable experience for their customers who depend on Amazon to help them with stuff. I think we've given Amazon a lot of power and it's a little frightening around the edges. At the same time, they did something that was brilliant and that is that they just made everything so easy. They just made it so easy. And we're easy to train. And we're easy to train. That's right. Yeah. There's so much that we could go in and and into this. And and I'm really curious about hearing more just quickly before we go on how to get, how to get the finance department involved in this, because the finance people, especially in the audit committee, and actually I'm thinking, I know boards would really hate this, but there, maybe there actually should be a customer satisfaction committee in the board. Well, let's don't call it customer satisfaction. Let's call it customer value. Customer value. Okay. Value, because we, when we start assigning or calculating the value of customers, and there are two kinds. There's sort of the actual rating or value measure, which is how much this customer is going to be worth if we don't, if the world doesn't change and we don't really, you know, we keep doing what we're doing. And then, and that should be going up. But there's also potential rating that would come from us if we were able to predict what customers really want and to provide that for them in the moment they need it. And to so we have to be psychic board members. We have to be well. That's what artificial intelligence is for. They're psychic AI is providing the, its pro, its program properly with bias. But the, but the point is this: that if we could, if we can really calculate the value of customers, then we know where our shareholders' bread is buttered on, right? And we know how to make this work. So if we talk about customer value, and the growth of our company should be a lot easier to manage and, and monitor over time as well. Right. By definition, we don't make any revenue except from customers. And if we are able to predict their value and hold people in our company responsible for that value and increasing it, then how can that not be fascinating to the board? This is the Drucker principle. Well done. I mean, there's right, 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 right. Just, the old, yeah. the old and days. And that's way back know. before we had all the technology to do it right. Yeah. So, you know, the guy's a genius even now. I'll just say this in, in closing at the moment. There was a very simple question. Yeah. A study that I had done with a number of CEOs, just to sort of, a, right. I could armchair study. Right. And I asked all of them, um, what's the purpose of a business? Yeah, yeah. I got all sorts of theories. Hmm. Only one, mm-hmm. after a 10 minute conversation, finally said, well, it's to keep the customer. Isn't that it? But it was fascinating that it took that long. We did a content analysis on a business channel uh, of the CEO, the CEO show, half an hour a day uh, interview. Right. And we made some poor person in our company have to sit there and watch it. How many times did the word customer appear in one month times 30 minutes? And the answer was 14. It would be interesting to listen to shareholder calls about the calls. The word. It's just just unbelievable. All right. So just one last thing. And that is, as we're thinking about a trust, here's what you want to remember. We have to do things right. And that means that we have to invest in getting it right, not wasting our customer's time and not screwing up and not shipping the wrong thing and having it break broken when it gets there and, and making an excuse, making for, it an along excuse the way. for it. And we have to apologize properly. And we have to do all this. Stuff. Second though, we have to not only do things right, but also do the right thing. And that piece is where the heart of our value will come from. And by the way, customers will occasionally forgive us for doing things wrong, but they will not forgive us for doing the wrong thing. And finally, the third thing is, do things right, do the right thing, and do them proactively. Now that we have the technologies we do, we have no excuse not to. Here's a problem that was created for you when you left the ground in San Francisco. Now that you're in Boston, 
we want to let you know that we've corrected it this way, this way, this way, and uh, we apologize. You have to learn to apologize properly, and you have to make good on those apologies. So we've all been told those golden rules as kids, right? Yeah. Do what's right. Do it proactively. Do the right thing. That's it. Do the right thing. Unfortunately, I think the corporate culture that has been developed over time is not necessarily rewarding those those mechanisms. Because we lived in a different world in nineteen the 1950s and 60s yeah. and 70s and 80s and starting in the 90s and certainly in the 21st century, we now have a different basis. Unfortunately, all the people in charge were born back in that old era. So they're still measuring things that themselves, people say, well, you know, customer value measures aren't always completely accurate. Well, they're pretty darned accurate and they're more accurate than quarterly profit measures Mm. and other kinds of measures that we have grown to know and love and put our faith in. We've all sort of agreed that this is what we're going to, we're going to say are all those deeply loved and long held measurement beliefs. Yet the employees in the corporation, even the top two or 3% that I also deal with quite frequently, who are in the middle of doing their job or changing their job or looking for a board seat or joining a board, it's interesting to hear them all say, I want to go to the right company. Or when they leave, I can't be here anymore. Right. And you know what? That's the way the customers feel. It's the way the employees feel. It's the way the board members feel. It's the way the partners want to do business. I mean, we could tell some Toyota stories that will just... Now, having the backbone and integrity to stand up and not care... If your head is lopped off because you That's said right. the right thing. That's right. right, because you'll find the right place because there are companies. There are many like of them yep. out there. Thank you, Martha. This has been a wonderful conversation. There's so much more that we can My cover. pleasure. What a and I'd love to... Keep up the work, Nancy. You're doing the important stuff. Well, so are you, and I'd love to have you back another time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here at The Boardroom's Best. It's been a pleasure having you all as listeners. If you have not subscribed to our show, I encourage you to do, do so. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on FM Radio, we're on CastBox, we're around in a number of different networks. Send your comments, your ratings. We're looking for more ideas from you and feedback. Please send your cards and letters coming and emails and texts, please. Thank you very much. It's been great to have you here again, Martha, and we look forward to having you back another time. Thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you with the support of Resources Global Professionals, the company that delivers intellectual capital on demand to the world's most recognized companies and corporate leaders. RGP, Resources Global, the experts you want to call when you need experience to solve your business problems. www.rgp.com.